It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. The Express gonna give it to you? Yeah, just like we do. Keeping it on track for you, peeping in the rear view. Freestyling, gonna keep it true to the game. The Bucks got Dame. All we see is rain, plugging up the drains. Dynamics rearranged. The sell-off ain't contained. Nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide. When bond yields are spiking, we gotta decide. Is the risk worth the gain? What's our capacity for pain? How much selling can we take? Is capitulation coming? From the caves we hear drumming. Is that the sound of succumbing? Or was that the worst of the flooding? We gotta stay on the tracks, breathe through the stress. Pursue our happiness on the Investopedia Express. Welcome back and welcome aboard. And those life vests under your seat can be used as flotation devices, especially if you're in the tri-state area. A week of downpours brought another week of losses for U.S. stocks as surging oil prices and screaming high treasury bond yields kept the pressure on the equity markets. The S&P 500 was hit with its fourth straight week of losses, falling close to 5% in the dreaded month of September. That ninth month lived up to its reputation for rough play. But the good news is that the October to January stretch is usually one of the strongest for the stock market. Market. The bad news is that the bad news seems to be spreading fast. The UAW standing strike against the big three automakers is picking up steam as the union walked out of a few other plants over the weekend. Student loan repayments resume this month after a three-year hiatus. Oil prices are bubbling higher as those production cuts from Saudi Arabia and Russia are curbing supply, and spiking bond yields are bumming everyone out. For investors trying to survive on a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds, the past month has been downright abusive. The S&P 500 fell close to 5% in September, and Treasury prices fell 2.5% last month. That's not supposed to happen as we were once taught. In fact, there's only been four months since 1970 when stocks and bonds were collectively down that much. September 2022, April 2022, January 2009, and October 1979. The common denominator during all of those periods? Rising interest rates and pesky inflation. As for inflation, though, we finally saw some hopeful signs last week. The Fed's preferred measure of inflation, core PCE, that stands for Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, moved down to 3.9% in August, its lowest level since May of 2021. The Fed funds rate, which sits between 5.25% and 5.5%, is now 1.5% higher than core PCE. Put another way, it's more expensive to borrow money than it is to spend it. That's the most restrictive monetary policy we've seen since November of 2007. And that leads us straight into our big three for the week. Number one, all that September selling in the stock market did some technical damage, as the CMTs like to say. According to LPL Financial, the near 5% drop in the S&P 500 created what's known as oversold conditions. The Relative Strength Index, our pal Katie Stockton's favorite indicator, which is used to measure the speed and magnitude of price action, slid to 30.3 last Tuesday. Earlier last week, over 20% of the S&P 500 stocks reached oversold levels based on RSI readings below 30. Inside the sectors, defensive sectors, which include utilities, real estate, and consumer staples, were the most oversold. Read between the charts, and this tells us that investors really don't want anything to do with stocks right now, even defensive ones. They'd rather sit it out in that ever-growing pile of cash or buy short-term treasuries no longer than six months out, which are offering 5.5% yields. Number two. 
How about a few reasons to be optimistic about the stock market? We could use a little of that right now. And our pal Ryan Dietrich at the Carson Group is always good for some green shoots. The fourth quarter is the best quarter of the year, up nearly 80% of the time and up more than 4% on average, twice as much as the next best quarter. When the S&P 500 is up between 10 and 20% for the year heading in to the normally strong fourth quarter, the fourth quarter is actually better, up more than 5% on average and higher more than 84% of the time. Strong years tend to end strongly. Also, when stocks fall more than 1% in both August and September, and they did, a big bounce back in October is normal, as is a great fourth quarter. The last three times that happened, October bounced back with very impressive gains of 10.8%, 8.3%, and 8% respectively. Turning to the fourth quarter, it's been up 12 out of the 13 times and up more than 7% on average. In other words, late summer pain usually turns into fourth quarter gains. And number three, you. How are you feeling? Well, our latest investor sentiment survey results are hot off the presses. And you are feeling pretty cautious. We all are. About a third of respondents say they're investing less in the market due to recent events, with two-thirds saying they feel the market still has further to fall. 43% of readers are at least somewhat worried about recent market events, an 8% increase since August. That said, we're still below the panic rates from last year, which were as high as 58%. 45% of readers say they're making safer investments now due to recent market events. That's up 10% from August. CDs and money market funds are the number one assets investors say they're leaning into, with nearly 30% of respondents favoring those safety asset classes. In fact, if we gave you an extra 10 grand right now, nearly one in five of you say you'd buy a CD with it. What are we worried about? Inflation still tops the list. Then the 2024 presidential elections are number two. A potential recession is number three. And persistently high interest rates are number four. There's a lot to worry about, but there kind of always is. Stay invested, stay focused, and stay on track. Let's get set up for the week ahead, and it's all about the jobs market here in the United States, and it starts with the August Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, the JOLTS Report, on Tuesday. On Wednesday, payroll provider ADP will issue the National Employment Report for September, which tracks growth in private sector payrolls. This sets the stage for the September non-farm payrolls report on Friday for the month of September. Job growth has been slowing, and there were big revisions downwards on those job gains in June and July. Plus, we have to factor in the work stoppages at the UAW and the Writers and Actors Guilds. Look for gains of anywhere from 150,000 jobs to 180,000 and a potential rise in the unemployment rate. It's a pretty quiet week for corporate earnings, but the events calendar is heating up as it always does in the fall. Molson Coors will hold a highly anticipated strategy event day this week. Zoom Video's annual Zoomtopia event will take place in San Jose, California, but it's virtual. Google will hold its Made by Google hardware event on October 4th. The company is expected to unveil the Pixel 8, Pixel 8 Pro, and Pixel Watch 2. Samsung Electronics will hold its developer conference in San Francisco on the 5th. This week will also mark the unofficial launch of the holiday shopping season. Oh yeah, it's here already. Target, Walmart, and Best Buy will all run promotions just ahead of Amazon's Prime Day shopping event scheduled for October 10th and 11th. Ready, set, shop, but do so within your budget. (music) 
The Express steamed through Phoenix, Arizona last week for the Financial Planners Association annual conference. It was also the certified financial planner's 50th anniversary, and the FPA and the CFP are under the same umbrella these days. These are the hardworking small business owners who are out there helping American households with their money decisions. They are holistic planners, not stock pickers or portfolio builders, but educators like us. I had the opportunity to host the keynote interview with Chris Gardner. If that name sounds familiar, it's because you might remember Chris from his powerful book, The Pursuit of Happiness, which was turned into an award-winning motion picture starring Will Smith in 2007. Gardner's story is powerful. He was a single dad trying to make it as a medical equipment salesman in San Francisco in the 1980s. After some incredibly bad fortune and some questionable business decisions, Gardner is literally at the end of his rope. He's evicted from his apartment, his car gets impounded, and he's forced to sleep inside the bathroom of a BART station with his 14-month-old son. In the movie, his son is 8 years old and played by Jaden Smith. But in real life, Gardner was raising a toddler and moves from shelter to shelter while trying to land an internship at Dean Witter as a stockbroker. He does so miraculously and it transforms his life. But Gardner's commitment to making sure his son knew who he was and what he could be was the driving force that allowed him to change the course of his life. Today, Gardner calls himself the CEO of happiness. He runs a successful investment management firm, a foundation, and he's the author of another book, Permission to Dream. He's also one of the most popular motivational speakers on the circuit today, and he visits orphanages, schools, and prisons to help people find their dreams and give them the courage to pursue them. Here's a few minutes from my conversation with Chris Gardner, the CEO of happiness. And pardon the overmodulation on the audio. We were live in a pretty big room. Chris's message, though, is worth it. Christopher, thank you again. No, brother, thank you. A lot of us have seen the movie, read the book. Mm. We've heard the story. You had some dark moments. I can't believe your son was only 14 months mm. at that time in real life. Mm. But in those darkest moments, mm. the worst, inside of those bathrooms, and I'm sure there was much worse than that where you had to spend the night, what was it that allowed you to give yourself the permission to dream? I knew it could be done. And I knew there were some people who came before me who'd done it. And I knew that promise that I made to myself as a five-year-old boy had become part of what I call my spiritual genetics. It had become part of who I was. And I had to keep that promise. And let me say it this way. I made the decision that if I had to sleep in a public washroom with my child tied on my back, as a 30-year-old man, I made that decision as a five-year-old boy. I had to keep that promise so that I could go forward. That was part of giving myself permission to dream. Yeah. You were keeping the promise to yourself Absolutely. to the generations that came before you. And that North Star got you through some of those terrible moments. But in those dreams, Chris, what was it that you were trying to manifest besides trying to get out of that bathroom mm. or trying to find a mm. home for you and your son? Mm. Was it owning a home? Was it being able to raise your son in that home? Was it getting that job that you ultimately mm. got? Were you thinking specifically or were you just looking at the North Star saying, I know I deserve better and I'll I get know. I, let me answer that question this way as honestly as I can. I talked about it briefly here. I made that decision as a young man. I wanted to become world-class at whatever I did with my life. My first dream, man, I wanted to become Miles Davis. And let's be clear, I did not want to become a jazz artist. I did not want to become a trumpet player. I wanted to be Miles. 
And when I said I wanted to be Miles, man, I had it so bad. I had it so bad. People would ask me as a little boy, what are you going to do when you grow up? I had it so bad, I started talking like Miles, and I'd tell them, I'm going to beat Miles. Caleb, <laughs> <laughs> thank God my mama heard me say it one time. Mama heard me say it one time, and she said, son, we need to talk. We sat down at the kitchen table, and when your mama called you to the kitchen table and it's not supper time, that is not good news. We sat at the kitchen table, she explains to me with all the love only a mom has, baby, you're pretty good with that trumpet, but you can't be Miles Davis, there's only one, and he's got that job. And I had to look at the facts. The facts were, at 18 years of age, Miles Davis was in New York City playing with Quincy Jones and Dizzy Gillespie. At the same age, I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, playing with some boys named Pookie and Ray Ray. <laughs> <laughs> we were good, right? But it wasn't going to happen. But the point is, Caleb, I made the decision. I wanted to become world-class at something. And the very first time I walked into a big-time Wall Street trading room, I knew. That was, the th that was it. The ticket tape was rolling, the phones were ringing off the hook, people are screaming and shouting out orders, bodies are flying all over the place, tickets are getting stamped, it would look like chaos to anybody else. For me, it was like I was reading a sheet of music. And I knew this is where I'm supposed to be. So to answer your question directly, I wanted to become world class at whatever I did, I just had to find that one place, it just happened to be in the financial services industry. So famously in the movie, you're having a miserable time selling these heavy medical devices that you had stored in your home. You're mm. running them all over town. Those things look heavy. Dude. Those things yeah. look really heavy. 22 kilos. Yeah. And you're running around with multiple and you have and a baby and a baby and some diapers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of running going on in the movie. I'm sure you did a lot of that. Dude, I'm life. still running. Yeah. And that getting hit by that car did not look like. Hey, man, look, when you read the book, you go find out. I got hit by a few things. But as. Angelo Dundee, one of the greatest trainers in the history of boxing, once said, you don't lose because you get knocked down. You lose because you don't get up. Yeah. You got up. You got to get up. More than once. You got to get up. And some of us right now, we got to get up. Yeah. Pay attention, folks, to the through line here. MLK, Miles Davis, Angelo Dundee, Biggie. There's <laughs> just some legends out there. Okay, but famously in the movie, you're having a miserable time. You see the guy in the red Ferrari, mm -hmm. and you stop him and you say, I got to know, how, I got two questions. How do you get that and how, do I, how can I do it? Now, was it the red Ferrari that prompted this pivot in your life, or was that just a symbol, an outcome, that if you got to be world-class, if you got to do something that you were passionate about and got to be world-class, you could potentially have one if you wanted. What was well, it? Well, it was just a symbol, and it represented options. It was not about the car. It was like having the option to have it or not have it. And the truth of the matter is, I've uh, been through a few cars since. Red Ferrari? I have red, black, and a few. But the point is, one of the things you learn is you can only drive one at a time, right? And I give young people homework based on that scene. When I'm with young people, I give them homework and I say to them, here's your homework. I want you to answer the new two questions. I asked that guy, what do you do and how do you do that? Well, the new two questions are, 
if you could walk through a door tomorrow morning and be doing anything in the world, what would it be? What would it look like? What would it smell like? What would it taste like? Engage all your senses. And the second question is, what did you do today to make tomorrow happen? And I want you to do this while you're brushing your teeth every day. What did you do today to make tomorrow happen? Not what did your parents do? Not what did the school do? Not what did the president do? What did you do? And I got to tell you, man, I am always getting these emails and text messages from young people all around the country saying, Mr. Gardner, my mom wants to know, why I keep running out of toothpaste? <laughs> so you in there. Yeah. The two questions. Yeah, that's working. That's a 15-minute brush. That's right. That's right. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's talk about becoming a stockbroker. You mm. felt right in that room, right? You felt like you'd found your place right there. Mm. You'd found that moment. It was the noise. It was the ticker tape. It was people on the mm. phones. Back then, mm. there was a lot of cold call going on right now. Mm -hmm. So what was it that made you believe you could succeed at that? You were, again, running door to door trying to sell these big devices. Was it that you knew sales or was it, I think I can figure this out just like you figured out the Rubik's Cube? I didn't figure anything out. I was given the opportunity to learn and I embraced it. And I got to tell you, one of the greatest opportunities I ever got in my life, man, I got from some guys at a firm that doesn't exist anymore. There used to be a magical place called Bear Stearns. And at Bear Stearns, we had the same. Ace Greenberg, Chairman, CEO. We do not hire MBAs. We hire PSDs. People that are poor, smart, with a deep desire to become wealthy. I was qualified. <laughs> I was qualified, right? And I had the opportunity to learn the business from some legends on Wall Street, and I embraced it. And one of the most important things that I learned is the importance of relationships. In our industry, I don't know how anybody else feels, relationships can be more important than money. Relationships can do things that money cannot. Or prevent something from happening. I will submit to you that we're in an industry where everybody's good and there's this much difference separating you and your biggest competitor on a piece of business or an opportunity. The person that gets that opportunity is going to be the one that invested the most in the relationship. Period. Works every time. You could take me and put me any place on the planet as long as I got the new three R's. Do you remember the song we used to sing about the three R's? This is a generational thing. You remember that song? The three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, right? Well, there's a new three R's called the rep, the rap, and the Rolodex. I love that. You got to have a reputation for integrity in your business and your personal life. The rap, you got to be able to communicate. You can have the best product or service in the world, but if you cannot rap, if you cannot communicate it, you'll never sell anything. And the Rolodex. Right. And the three R's equal the fourth R, which is referrals, right? And I'm sure a lot of you have built your businesses on that. I love those and there's three another, R's. And there's a fifth R. Oh, what's the fifth R? Revenue. <laughs> Revenue. Revenue, right. I like revenue. I, of course, of course. <laughs> All right, parenthood, Christopher, mm. brings out mm. a lot of things in us that we don't expect. Mm. You had made that commitment, but what surprised you about yourself 
as a parent through that journey? Oh, man. What surprised me is, first of all, let me tell you something. I wasn't just a parent. I was a single parent. Now, that's a whole different skill set. I don't know who in here is a single parent by choice or by chance. But a single parent, the first thing you got to know is there is no backup. The Calvary is not coming. You're the Calvary. Right? In the traditional family, you got the mom and the dad, you can play good cop, bad cop. Right? When you're a single parent, you got to be Sheriff Andy of Mayberry and Dirty Harry at the same time. Right? And uh, the one thing that most surprised me was how much of my mother lived in me and came out and helped me. That was the one thing. I knew these things, but when you got a baby, now they manifest themselves. You do a lot of school visits. We were talking the other night, you were visiting an orphanage the other day. You are all over the place. So how do we help those people who are a lot like you, but even in worse shape, if you can imagine, and you've met a lot of these kids out there, they feel like their path to financial freedom, to even getting to a point where they can make a decision for themselves financially is so far out of reach. So I know you're doing a lot of this in person, but how do we help these people that feel like they have no shot? First thing is, honestly, and uh, I'm so glad you asked me that question. I mentioned one of the big questions I'm getting from young people about the American dream. Is it still possible? Do you know what the second biggest question I'm getting from young people all across our country is? Did you ever feel like you just wanted to quit? That's a painful question. And it's coming from elementary school students, junior high school students, high school students. And think about this for a second. These are the people that one day we hope to have as potential clients or employees. These are people in our families. Did you ever feel like you just wanted to quit? The biggest and most important thing that I do as I share with them, I never felt like I just wanted to quit, but I did have to ask myself a number of times, could I take another baby step? Could I take one more baby step? And I got to share this with you. I'll never forget this, man. We had, we had just gotten our, our first place to live after a year of living on the streets. My son has seen me carry everything that we own, everywhere we went, every day for a year. It had become normal for him. But on this one day, we get our own house, we sleep on the floor, we get up the next day to walk out, and I'm not carrying anything. And my son gets a little anxious. He says, Papa, you forgot this. We had to bring our stuff. But to be able to say to your child, no, son, we, we, we got a key now. We home. We don't have to carry stuff anymore. That was a baby step and a giant leap at the same time. So I will submit to you directly answering your question. Let's just try to be all a little bit more conscious that there are people in our communities that need us. And not just our money. They need some of us, some of our time, some of our energy, some of our wisdom. And... This generation coming up right now, let's just look back 20 years. Think about it. The children born in the year 2000 were conceived in a storm. 1999, we were all freaked out about what? 
Y2K. Y2K. Remember, the world was going to end. Y2K. Oh, my God. The children born in the year 2000 were conceived in that storm. Fast forward on the timeline one year. What happens? Just as those babies were learning how to walk, 9-11. Fast forward seven years. What happens? Global financial crises. Fast forward 12 years. What happens? Politics, polarization, and a pandemic. The point is, these young people have been through it. They need us now more than ever before. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I would encourage all of us, find an opportunity, and it's not going to be hard to find, someplace in your community to open your door to some young folks and say, let's talk. That's beautiful. So, so quickly, tell us what's going on inside your foundation now. We know you're on the road. We know you're on the circuit. You have the books. What's going on inside? We're being very, very focused in this effort right now and encouraging young people to look at all the options in their backpacks. It's not just, well, let's do another timeline. Let's say that the film Pursuit of Happiness came out December 2006. January 2007, economists start asking, is the U.S. economy going into a recession? Spring of 2008 is acknowledged as the beginning of the global financial crises. All the young people, or a lot of them, that went away to college in 2008 saying, yes, we can, they came out four years later saying, what the? Well, I did everything I was told to do. I went to school, I graduated, but now the world has changed so much, I got little to no opportunity to work in the business or industry I want to be in. I got $100,000 in student loan debt, and I got to move back in the house with mom and dad if mom and dad haven't lost the house. The point I'm making, the young people we're talking about now were the younger brothers and sisters, and they were watching, and they've seen how things did not work out like my big brother or my big sister thought they were going to. I want to look at some other options. And one of the options is encouraging them. Let's look at some of the apprenticeship and training opportunities available through the AFL-CIO and the North American Building Trades Unions. Let's look at some of these apprenticeship and training programs. I asked you this question last night. I can't remember. What floor are you on in the hotel? 14. I remember now because I got lost. Did you take, the, <laughs> you take the stairs or the elevator? I took that elevator. Think about this. Every time you get in the elevator, the guys that put that elevator in there, they all make a strong six figures a year. And no student loan debt. Yeah. We're in Arizona. We're in this room right now with some very high-powered individuals that run a whole bunch of money. But you know what? If the air conditioning system in this building went out right now, who's the most important guy in town? The electrician. The guy that can fix the air conditioner. That guy makes a strong six figures a year. So getting young people to look at all the options in the backpack and to say, you know what? I don't have to go to college. I can get a skill set where the work that I do cannot be outsourced to Mexico or India. I can begin to create generational wealth in my family and do so with no student loan debt. So we're doing it right now. We're kicking it off, man. Boston, New York, Detroit. So that's me for the rest of the year. It's terminology time. Time for us to get smart with the investing and finance term we need to know this week. And this week's term comes to us from Samuel Moreiro, who hit us up on the gram asking to learn more about short selling. 
We love that term. And according to our favorite website, short selling is an investment or trading strategy that speculates on the decline in a stock or other securities price. In short selling, a position is opened by borrowing shares of a stock or other asset that the investor believes will decrease in value. The investor then sells these borrowed shares to buyers willing to pay the market price. Before the borrowed shares must be returned, the trader is betting that the price will continue to decline and they can purchase the shares later at a lower cost. The risk of loss on a short sale, and it's a big risk, is theoretically unlimited since the price of any asset can climb to infinity. The most common reasons for engaging in short selling are speculation and hedging. A speculator is making a pure price bet that the stock will decline in the future. If they're wrong, they'll have to buy the shares back higher at a loss. Because of the additional risks in short selling due to the use of margin, it's usually conducted over a smaller time horizon and thus is more likely to be an activity conducted for speculation. Now, a lot of us will remember the short-selling frenzy of 2021 that inspired the Reddit day trading army to bid up stocks like GameStop and AMC to stick their fingers in the eyes of the hedge funds that were shorting these stocks. That has been memorialized in many books and a new motion picture called Dumb Money, which tells the story of Roaring Kitty, one of the most popular retail traders who helped inspire the meme stock mania of 2021. If you see that movie, listen closely for a familiar voice talking to you just as Roaring Kitty makes his infamous trade. But back to short selling. Given all the anxiety around the stock market lately, we shouldn't be surprised to see that the short sellers are back. But now, they're targeting some of the biggest, most widely held stocks on the planet. Here are the stocks with the most short interest right now, according to S3 Partners. Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Amazon.com, Meta Platforms, Visa, Alphabet, Johnson & Johnson, and Broadcom. Thanks for joining us this week. As always, and special thanks to the FPA for letting us ride along at the annual conference in Arizona last week. And what an honor it was to share the stage with Chris Gardner. Check out what the CEO of Happiness is up to these days. And if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, give yourself that gift. It'll make you happy. We'll link to Chris's website and all the reports we cited on this week's show, and you'll find those in the show notes. And we'll talk again a little further on down the line.